of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one that he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for the discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children, and you're not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not have much more? Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet. So that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness spring up and causes trouble. And by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward. When he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Verse 18, our focal text for today. For you have not come to what may be touched. A blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrified was the sight of Moses that Moses said, I tremble in fear. But you, you have come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are all enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirit of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised yet once more. I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. I had a conversation with uh, one of the parents from my boy's school the other day, and it's actually Noli's school now. She'll start kindergarten in the fall. Time flies when you're exhausted. And I... And in this conversation, uh, the dad tells me that he is going on a trip for work to Chicago. 
And I had recently been to Chicago last summer, and as we're having the conversation, I talked to him about the fantastic things that you can do in Chicago because I looked at a list, and, and I talked to him about going to Wrigley Field and Chicago-style pizza and the Sky Deck and Chicago-style pizza and boat tours. And as I'm having this conversation with him, he said to me, I won't know. I will be in meetings all day. I'm going straight there. I'm coming straight back. It's a terrible way to take a trip. What's a city that you've been to that you've not really been to? Because lots of us have that trip in mind. A work trip. A layover in the airport where you tell someone, yes, I've been to Los Angeles, but I just sat at the airport. I ate at Chipotle. Where you've been, but you've not really been. Imagine that you go to your children and you tell them that that you are going on a trip to Orlando, Florida. Because the child is not old enough to understand the difference in Orlando and Angleton, you begin to have to show them pictures of what Orlando encompasses. And as you show them the pictures of Orlando, you show them SeaWorld. You show them Universal. You show them Harry Potter, which is Universal. You show them... Disney World. You show them all of these pictures of what Orlando happens to be. And as they look at the pictures, they begin to get excited, elated. This is going to be the greatest trip in the history of great trips for them. However, when you get to Orlando with the child, rather than going to any of those places and doing any of those things, they spend the entire time sitting in the corner of the room while you are in business meetings. They never leave the La Quinta that you're in. On top of that, they look out the window and the sky is full of doom and gloom. They know that there is something very much worth experiencing there, but they cannot, due to the limitations that are beyond their control, they cannot experience any of those things. That's what we find when we get to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18, The picture that's being painted of what the people of the Old Testament dealt with when they met with God versus the people of the New. And as we look to this text, we start with this imagery, if you will, of God saying to these people through the writer of Hebrews, Look, you have not come to a place where you can't experience who God is. Go go with me. Verse 18 again. You have not come to what may be touched. A blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest. And the sound of a trumpet. And and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken. They could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. So terrifying was that Moses said, I tremble in fear. This is terrifying. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, you've not come to that. Though you may think about God like that, that's not your experience as a follower of God through Christ Jesus and in Christ Jesus. 
The four takes us back. When you read the word four, you've got to throw it back to the few verses right before that. Uh, It takes us back, and the best way to summarize what takes place in verses 15 through 17 that we just looked at, because we can approach God boldly. We as followers of Jesus, the people of Hebrews who have trusted in the blood of Christ on the cross, they can approach God boldly by the blood of Jesus, and because of their ability and because of our ability to approach God in that way, We can be on the lookout for grace. We can look and see God's grace even in difficulties, even in hardships, even in struggles. Because we can approach the throne of God boldly through Jesus. Bitterness does not have to become a root for us. It does not have to take hold of us. It does not have to affect everything and ruin every aspect of our lives. Because we are people who can approach the throne of God because of the work of Jesus. Because we are not Sinai people. We are Zion people that we will get to. Because we are not law people. We are grace people who have experienced the goodness of Jesus. We don't have to live for temporary gratification. Think about this though. If this framework is being posed to the Christians in the book of Hebrews where they would say to each of them, and the writer would be saying to each of us, you can find grace. What that says to us is that we have a desire to not find God's grace. When we read this and we see that he is saying, you do not have to let bitterness take hold, what is being painted for us is that many of us do seek to allow bitterness to take hold. What is being said to these believers in a world where choice is obviously there, when he says don't live for temporary gratification, what he's saying to them is the church at Hebrews and the church at 1027 Dixie Drive, many of us do live for temporary gratification. What's being said is that who God is and how God works and how God loves and how God graces himself to us is so much more than we are even willing to realize. It means it's possible that we could miss who God is, that we could get to the edge and live as old Sinai people when God has said, but I've invited you in. This was such a weird situation. When you talk about the animal, there's the concept that the animals would stray into the mountain and where God's presence had made himself known. And when they would stray into this area, they would leave and they would be so affected that the people could not even approach an animal that had experienced the glory of God without dying. So they would have to stone them. Or there's even stories of them shooting them with arrows so that the animal would not get so close because if they laid their hands upon this animal, then they would surely die. That's how powerful the presence of God was. And we look at the text and we see the picture of the storm and the picture of the darkness and the the picture of just vast, overwhelming fire... And when we see this in the passage, we even see the idea of the angels playing trumpets there. And the voice of the Lord being so strong and bold that it said to the people who were there, you don't belong here, you don't need to be here. There is a line to which you can come, but you can go no further. I was in the eighth grade 
many, many years ago. And it was senior recognition, very much like today. And they had called all of the seniors up to receive their gift bag. I don't think they gave us gift bags. But when they brought the seniors up, they gave them a a book and they patted them on the back. And the very last recognition was me. But I was an eighth grader, not a senior. And I wasn't Doogie Howser, so I wasn't making super great grades. I wasn't ready to graduate in the eighth grade. They called my name for a special recognition because I had a decent grade point average in the eighth grade. Well, it was the highest in the eighth grade. And I won a paid trip to Florida. But uh, so they called my name and I stood up from my chair and started to walk forward to receive what I thought was going to be yet another gift. And the person who was talking said, no, we don't have anything for you. Which was amazing, by the way. What an embarrassing moment for an 8th grade child. I, I never have forgotten that. What you have here in this passage is God saying to the people, you can come this far and no further. That's what you have in the Old Testament. But we're not those people, the angels that played the instruments, the angels that played the trumpets, declaring that God was to be afraid of, to not be messed with. They were not the famous trumpeteers that we're familiar with, Dizzy Gillespie and Miles Davis and Louis Armstrong and Kenny G. He played a saxophone, but I always feel like I should mention him because he's the only one I could really identify in a lineup. What you find when you get to Sinai is them being told over and over, though you've been wandering, though you've been walking, though you've been looking, though you've been trying to find your way, You can come here to see God, yet you can go no further. Think about what that says to a Jewish person. What's their story? Their story is the story of Moses. He's the most important person in Jewish history to to that point. What did he do? He met them in Egypt. He led them from Egypt, and they were supposed to have a destination. And the city for them, to go to any city, to go to a different place, to have a destination means that there would be an end to their walking, an end to their wandering, an end to their worry. All The city for them was a place where they could settle, a place to raise families, a place to have land, a place where they could be. But at Sinai, they're told they don't belong. A city represents safety and prosperity but you stop right there but that's not who we come to we've come to this in verse 12 or verse 22 of chapter 12 you Christian Christian 2100 years ago and Christian today you come to Mount Zion King David conquered Zion King David renamed it Jerusalem, which means the city of peace. You have come to Zion. You have come to the place of peace, the city of the living God. You have a permanent place where you're headed, the heavenly Jerusalem. And you have come to innumerable angels in festal gathering. Notice the difference there. We have angels on, on at Sinai saying, don't come. We have angels... 
at Zion saying, be here with us. And the assembly of the firstborn who were enrolled in heaven. The idea of who Jesus is, the assembly of the firstborn, the believers who are in this place are those who have come to faith in God through the promise of Jesus. What Christ has done on the cross and you are interacting with them, they are saying to you, yes, you belong because we didn't belong, but we get to belong. To the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to all the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And then we get to 24. And to Jesus, Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and, the sprink, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. For these Christians that the writer of Hebrews writes to, this would have been shocking language for God to tell them that they belonged. For God to tell them that they could come beyond the line. For God to say to them, not only are you supposed to be here, there's a party here. That's what festal gathering is. We're going to start calling parties here at Grace Bible festal gatherings. We're going to belong, is what God is saying. This would have shocked these Christians, which is the point. And I think it's a point that we miss. Because I think for whatever reason, we have convinced ourselves that we belong on the wrong, for the wrong reasons. We belong because we vote a certain way. We belong because we oppose certain things. We belong because we, and the list could go on and on. We belong because we have a family that is unified. We belong because we have faith background. All of these reasons for belonging are wrong. You belong and I belong in this great gathering in heaven. Because Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and his sprinkled blood speak a better word than the blood of Abel. That's why we belong. And if you're belonging for any other reason, you don't belong. God used the tense, and I, and I love this. The tense of the word is that you have come to Zion. It means that you're here, and you ain't going nowhere. This is where you are, and this is where you will be, and this is where you belong, not just now, but forever. Forever, forever, ever. You will always be here. That's the type of belonging that God gives us. Do we belong as my grandmothers and your grandmother more than likely would say, country has come to town, if you will. Because you have people in a place where it doesn't seem as if they belong. I mean, really. Uh, angels? Festal gatherings? I don't belong there. Sinai says you don't belong. Zion says that you do. On Sinai, look at the difference. God writes law on stones and delivers them. At Zion, God delivers us by writing the law on our hearts. On Sinai, angels are there to, tell, to terrify. On Zion, they are there to celebrate. So what the writer is saying is, trust 
this. You belong because the, the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Speaks strongly, speaks boldly, saying you matter. So trust this. Trust this. But it's not always easy to trust that. We, we haven't in this text, 22 through 23 especially, you have what's called the already not yet concept set up in Scripture. And I think that many of us feel that if we are being completely honest. We have trusted in Christ, but life does not always seem as if we are in a festal gathering, if you will. If you get the wrong phone call from a doctor, if you have the wrong conversation with a spouse, if you have a misstep with an employer, over and over you feel the effects of living in a world where you have an eternal home and an eternal place, yet this world is still messed up and broken. Any of these things that go wrong can shake our foundation and cause us to missee who God is. So you can actually see that flow and that train of thought from what's taking place here. Verse 25, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. When we look at this text, we see the idea of things taking place around us that are overwhelming, that are scary. We're going to talk about being shaken in a few moments. It doesn't always feel like this world is one where we belong. Here's why. Faith, Christian faith, is hard. It is full of unanswered questions and unanswered prayers and difficult struggles and hard people and jobs and families and careers. All of these things can and will be shaken and tossed up and down. And as they're tossed up and down, we're forced to wrestle with this concept that we are here. We are have this place in the company of God forever, yet it doesn't feel like we're in that right now. When we look at everything that takes place, the people that we love and the people that we care for, when we think about the things that may happen to us if we get one of those wrong calls or have one of those difficult conversations, we are tossed and turned up, upside down and inside out. But God even tells us that this shaking is coming. At that time, verse 26, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Think through just a moment of how things were shaken in the scriptures. In the book of Haggai, chapter Two, you see the idea of God shaking the earth. We see the idea of God doing things to remind us and bring us to the, the pure idea of Him as our foundation. I don't know if you've noticed at Grace recently, we've had some new greeters that have added, and we've reshuffled and shifted our greet team. And some of the men on our greet team could serve as offensive linemen or bouncers. These are the big... You come in the door, and they are... I'm not worried. I'll just say that. 
Two of them are six foot five. Multiple of them have military experience. It is not a worrying. So imagine that someone has taken something that they did not that did not belong to them, and they have put that thing in their pocket. And we know that they have taken whatever that thing is and put that in their pocket. So what if I have two of my Greek team slash bouncers come on stage with me and that person? And we try to shake them down verbally. You need to give us the jewel. No, sir, I don't have the jewel. So I have Clint Rupley take one of the gentleman's ankles and Eddie Gee take the other, the other one of his ankles and I have them flip him upside down. And when they flip him upside down, you see that shake out. When you read this text, the painting, the picture that's being painted for us is that. That in a world where we have foundation struggles, in a world that is fully problematic, that God is going to do a work, even through the difficult things, even through the hardships, and ultimately through what will take place in His second coming, where as He shakes the earth, all that is impure that we would have put the wrong trust in, those things will fall away. And all that we will have is Him. And all that we will have to trust in is Him. And all that we will have to believe in is Him. And as He shakes, it reminds us that the things that were our foundation in this earth other than Jesus don't really hold us. Who's been through that? Where you're reminded that, being, that the things in this life that you may have placed trust in or comfort in or hope in don't really do what you'd hope that they would do. And you come to the place where we see Jesus. Jesus as our only firm foundation. The, the, the writer of the book of Hebrews says this in verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. And our, for our God is a consuming fire. You, you've even seen the flip of the language though. And we start at Sinai, and there's, there's this overwhelming imagery of you don't belong. And the closing comment in Hebrews chapter 12 is a reference to what takes place there. A consuming fire. The idea, yet again, that based on your own merit, you don't belong. Do you see what it's saying? It, it's saying to us... As you move through this letter, as you move through this chapter, you still need a promised land. You still need to have a place of safety and security. You still need to have a place where your walking and wandering and worrying comes to its conclusion. You still need a high priest. You still need someone to offer up the sacrifice for you. You still need a sacrifice. You need a king who would declare your pardon. The difference is that because Christ is our mediator, those are not things that we know that we want for any longer. Those are things that we have. He has done those things. He fulfilled those purposes. He has done for us what was undoable by us. 
He's said to us that we belong not based on our merit, but based on his. Not based on our achievement, but based on his. That we belong because of Jesus. So we come and we worship and we sing and we think and we do these things and we get rid of taking things for granted. That's what the language of the, of the book says to us. That you would offer to God acceptable worship. That's not taking him for granted. That you would worship him with reverence and awe. That's not taking him for granted. That's us thinking that God is who God is. And that God can do what only God can do. And he has done those things in a mediator named Jesus. Who says you can belong not because of you but because of me. So I'm going to read this text over us again. Beginning in verse 18. And I want you... Just to bow your head. Worship does not always have to be song. God uses songs to lead us in worship. But I want you to hear these words read over you as God is saying to you, you belong. You belong. You've not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. They could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you, you have come to Zion. You have come to the city of the living God. You have come to the heavenly Jerusalem. And you have come to innumerable angels in festal gathering. Friends, you have come to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And you have come to and by Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So that you see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him, who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, removal of impurities, that is, things that have been made, in order that things cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. During this next song, we're going to pass out the elements of communion. And as Sarah sings, or at the conclusion of her singing, whenever you have worked through in your heart what it means for you to meet God through the mediator, with worship and reverence and all. Take of the bread, drink of the cup. 
Because this is saying to us, that's saying to God, God, I remember that through your blood and by your body I belong. Through your blood and by your body alone. alone. 